0: This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station.
1: Good Tuesday afternoon. Hope you are enjoying the sunshine. Nice to hear on the news that we are in for some lovely weather over the next number of weeks, so that is encouraging for sure. Thanks for hanging out with me this afternoon. It was a couple of days ago that I heard on the news Mick Jagger, at the age of 72, is going to become a father. I think this is his eighth child now, his girlfriend is 29, and we often hear this, right, where the the man seems to be able to impregnate women into their 60s, 70s. I'm sure there's even some 80-year-old fathers out there. And I, I, I want to get into a bit of that conversation, but when you flip that around, obviously you don't hear of many 50-, 60-, 70-year-old women who are getting pregnant Now, we know through in vitro fertilization and donor eggs that women past 50, 55 can still be a mother. A conversation with you this afternoon, though, about, I guess, the medical ethics around that. And I'm I'm not just picking on women who have waited or have had difficulty having a child and then are finding that they're in their 50s and they still want to have that child, but also just on being a parent whether you're a dad or a mum, and you're 50 oh sure it's all fun and games when it's just a baby and a toddler I've just said goodbye to 24 year old and a 20 year old I can't imagine if I would have had them at the age of 50 55 now and I'm I'm well into my 70s when they're finally leaving home I'm uh, turning to Dr. Ari Baratz. He is a reproductive endocrinologist, infertility specialist at Create Fertility Center in Toronto. He is the chair of the Ontario Medical Association's Reproductive Biology Section, and he joins us today. Hello, Dr. Baratz.
0: Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me.
1: And of course, we always hear those headline stories about the the man who is with a young girl and she's pregnant. That that's not unusual, is it, for men to be well into their sixties and seventies and still being able to be fathers?
0: Well, Angela, it's it's actually biblical to a certain extent. <laughs> if you look back at you know early cases, uh, Abraham, they, they believe he was 120 when he impregnated his uh, had his first child. So, I mean, you know, since the dawn of time, uh, there has been these age discrepancies. And, of course, as you mentioned in your intro, there's a, a huge difference between the uh, male approach to reproduction and the female approach. And, and that's what we're currently, currently dealing with.
1: And, of course, we know men are from Venus, women are from Mars or whatever that is. We, we are built differently. And I can understand why it might be more difficult for an older women, woman rather to be able to carry a child, first of all, to be able to become pre. Pregnant? are you deal with a lot of women and couples who do want to have children later in life what are you hearing from them why they've waited or why they finally have to turn to you for assistance well there there
0: are a number of reasons some of them um, more obvious some of them um, less uh, sometimes it is in the medical sphere I mean patients have just tried various therapies and through frustration um, they've ended up, you know, waiting to that point. Sometimes it's a new relationship and uh, patients are coming later in life, uh, desiring a unique child to that new relationship. Uh, and, and so that, that, you know, that typically, those are common. And sometimes, as you mentioned as well, just life, life gets in the way. I mean, we're living in a, a time where uh, gender is not the driver of how much someone, uh, studies or develops their career. Uh, you know, very often, uh, the women I meet that are coming later in life are typically, uh, have, have been quite educated, uh, have developed careers and, and have, have sort of waited to that point, um, beyond which natural conception is, is too difficult.
1: Ari, how long have you been in the business of reproduction?
0: I've been in practice for about, uh, over 10 years, uh, and, um, I've been sort of in you know, of medicine for almost 15 years,
1: and to me, that's still kind of young in the game because I I can just imagine the advancements and the changes that some people in your field have seen in 20, 25 years. I mean, it would have well, been 30 years ago that probably no, no, I'd have to go back further because I'm thinking I was 31. I had to get, But you know, just think about it. A doctor would have probably had to say to a couple sorry. You're going to have to look at adoption if you really want to have children in your life.
0: I mean there's no question that in the last um, 30 plus years there have been major advances. I mean back in In the late 70s, uh, 1978 was the birth of the first IVF baby and at that time uh, the application of advanced fertility or reproductive technologies was very linear. I mean that first baby uh, came out a result of blocked fallopian tubes and that was the only real application of advanced technologies and now fast forward almost 40 years and uh, we see a whole list of applications for that technology uh, from from basic fertility treatments uh, or indications up to, you know, trying to impregnate people with uh, egg donation, surrogacy, etc.
1: Yeah, and, and that to me is a whole new thing too, the egg donation. So tell my listeners exactly how that would work.
0: Well, I mean, there, there are different applications uh, for why uh, an individual or couple would require uh, an egg donated from a, uh, from an individual. So sometimes there are just no eggs available, for example, in a, a same-sex male couple, mm-hmm. uh, they would, we would need egg donation. Right. But you know, in, in, in cases where there's been uh, another medical reason, let's say premature menopause or premature ovarian failure, or someone may have had a cancer where the chemotherapy or the surgery rendered that uh, that woman uh, into an earlier menopause, those are cases that are a little more uh, e- easy for people to, to understand because there's an obvious medical reason. Um, it, you know, it's the, it's the women um, in their sort of uh, perimenopausal area where people have a little more difficulty because they, they feel that, well, if nature has said it's time for the ovaries to stop, that there really is no opportunity. But, um, so we see, I would say, most women or, or couples or individuals that are accessing egg donation are actually in that last category, people whose ovaries have just stopped functioning uh, or, or the quality of the eggs is so poor. So it all starts with accessing an egg donor. Mm. Um, and those those individuals can either be someone, someone that they know, like a sister, cousin, or friend, or there are various agencies uh, that provide uh, egg donation services.
1: For so long, we heard about sperm donors. So, you right. know, I mean, it's just the reverse. I, I can understand that. But... I wonder when we're looking at egg donations so that would be I've got to have a scenario here so my husband and I and I can't produce eggs so we get an egg donor and we still take his sperm and but I would still carry the child
0: yeah so in uh, in the case we need three things to reproduce we need eggs we need sperm and we need a uterus or a vessel for it to be carried in and in the case that you described uh, chances are the sperm works well, chances are the uterus, if it's functioned before, should function again. The uterus does not age the same way the eggs do. And then a, a third party or a, a female who's typically in an age range where uh, we see higher reproductive success, women typically in their 20s, to early 30s, uh, would go through the IVF process, uh, an egg harvest would occur, the uh, intended parent's sperm would be put together with the egg through an IVF laboratory, right. and then the embryos that ensue would then be transferred back to the intended parent in, in the case that you described. I forgot I think you said you, you said goodbye to your two kids, but if you wanted a third child yeah. uh, i 'm not going to ask you on here how old you are, but but you can um, ask
1: i 'm fifty almost fifty five
0: Okay, so that's uh, so that's another interesting uh, er, er, discu- er, discussion point yeah. is the age at which someone can carry, but uh, the, the sort of the, the half life or shelf life of the uterus is just not the same as the ovary as the egg.
1: It it actually is. You're saying the shelf life of the uterus is longer than the shelf life of the odor- ovaries.
0: Well, that's just it, and that, that raises um, another wow. issue, which is just because the uterus can be primed and can receive an embryo, is that the right thing to do and at, and it's a very complex issue. At what age, at what chronological age, do we cut somebody off? I mean, do we say, okay, they are too old to carry? And, you know, current, up until recently, there was really no formal guideline to help uh, reproductive specialists in North America in this, with this issue. Uh, currently, both the American Society and now recently the Canadian Society have come out with pretty, um, pretty comprehensive documents that uh, cover uh, all aspects of donation egg sperm and, and surrogacy, mm-hmm. uh, and they do provide some guidelines with the age. And the age currently, uh, both the American and Canadian society discourage any transfer to women past the age of 55. Uh, they use 50 as a cutoff if they have any other uh, comorbidity or any other illness that would put them at risk.
1: And, you know, Ari, I guess because you're looking at that as the medical even you're talking about the the shape or the health of the uterus i wonder where the conversation goes as to all right you're you're going to be 50 but you're going to be a parent for for sure the next 18 years and now that we hear millennials will never leave us it could be the next 30 years so do do you have that conversation with clients or is that that's not you're just talking about the biology of this
0: Absolutely. I mean, it is a complex discussion, and and there are definitely arguments uh, in favor uh, of of carrying carrying a pregnancy past the natural menopause. Uh, And there there are arguments against it. I mean, it's it's really a balance between reproductive freedom. I mean, we mentioned before there are many reasons why individuals or couples would come later in life uh, to to carry. And so it's difficult living in in the type of society we live in to deny someone that but you also don't want to put someone in harm's way and really you know the the safety data and the uh, at these sort of postmenopausal pregnancies is still being elucidated like we it's not like that's the average person that comes through our door Mm -hmm. and so we do uh certainly women that are past the natural menopause which is typically 50 51 in north america we do do an extensive medical assessment including psychosocial counseling uh, to ensure that they are fully aware and fully informed with what they're getting into, both on the medical side uh, and and on the ethical, as you mentioned, too. I mean, if you're you're in a fertility clinic, the goal is to produce a live birth. And if you're producing a live birth, you want to be around to care for that child. And, And as a society, we have a duty not just to produce babies, but to provide care for the long haul, not just for the first 18 years.
1: Sorry, I've got lots more questions. And this really isn't coming from a personal standpoint. I'm not having any more children. I don't care who comes into my life. I'm having no more children. But I want, I've got a few more questions for you. I just have to take sure. a break. All right. Dr. Barretts, he is a reproductive endocrinologist, infertility specialist at Create Fertility Center in Toronto. He's also the chair of the Ontario Medical Association's Reproductive Biology Section. And we are just talking about some of the questions when it comes to parenting. I know I'm focusing right now on the mum. After the break, I want to flip it around to the mail and some of the reports that are out there when it comes to, sure, Mick Jagger, you can get your 29-year-old girlfriend pregnant, but what will the health of that child be? I'm going to delve into that after this. And I am getting a number of texts, 770-770. As well, at 3.30, after I say goodbye to Dr. Barretts, I want to open the phone lines to you just to have uh, the more common man or woman approach to this whole Conversation, Dr. Ari Baratz, as I said, is a reproductive endocrinologist, infertility specialist at Create Fertility Centre in Toronto and chair of the Ontario Medical Association's Reproductive Biology section. And Ari, even as I say your title, you're an infertility specialist. I guess that makes sense. Often I thought it was a fertility specialist, but you're probably dealing with people who aren't fertile. Or well, have I, I got mean, the wrong line?
0: <laughs> no, you got the right line. It, it is a mouthful. Um, <laughs> Technically, the Royal College of Canada has that distinction, the reproductive endocrinology and infertility. infertility. But we do see, uh, I would say, a mixture of patients. And we see true classical infertility, uh, albeit egg uh, issues or uterus issues, fallopian tube issues, sperm issues, your typical heterosexual couple. But, you know, as, as, um, the, te- as the technology has changed and as, as access has changed, we're seeing an emerging group of people who their fertility problem Uh, it's they're missing one factor. For example, we treat a very large um, LGBT community. Right. So, you know, if you're seeing a same-sex female couple, I mean, they're both very healthy people. They just, they need sperm. So by definition, they are are missing one part of that equation, Mm -hmm. but they're not truly infertile Mm -hmm. per se.
1: Um,
0: And that would apply to either single individuals. uh, and, And so... We, you know, it is a, a historical term, but uh, we're a clinic that tries to get people pregnant, not not pregnant.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ari, so you're saying, you know, you're dealing with people who um, are having egg issues or uterus or all this. Now let's flip it over. So are you dealing with men who are having sperm issues? Are you helping men who come to the clinic and say, you know, we really want to have a baby, but I'm having issues being able to produce sperm?
0: Absolutely, um, uh, you know, from grade nine biology class, we all know that it takes three things to get to make a baby, you need eggs, you need uh, a way to bring them together, but you also need sperm. Yeah. And so male factor infertility makes up fertility makes up a good 30 to 40 percent of all the sort of fertility diagnoses, diagnoses that we see. And, and as you had alluded to before the break, uh, as our female patients are getting older, so are our male patients. And that does raise some potential concerns as well. Um, You know, all males that we meet uh, do have a formal semen analysis or sperm uh, assessment. Uh, But, you know, looking at sperm in a 25-year-old may not be the same as sperm in a 55-year-old.
1: Yes, and that's why I want to ask you about this because I have read reports that show male sperm, it's great that, you know, the Mick Jaggers of the world can have babies or can impregnate girlfriends. However, old sperm, is there any link to whether it be learning difficulties, like the, the child's outcome? Has, has there ever been anything pointed to the older sperm in that?
0: There, there's not a lot of data in this area, um, but there are some concerns uh, around uh, male reproductive aging, so we usually think of female reproductive aging, and one of the big factors is the increased risk of chromosomal abnormalities, like the Down syndrome, right. for example. And there's all these tests based around trying to assess women as they get older to look for that risk. Uh, you know, I know in my province, uh, as I, I believe in yours, that every pregnant uh, female, uh, regardless of the, the mode at which, by which she got pregnant, is offered prenatal screening um, and then more invasive testing for Down syndrome if required. Mm -hmm. That same approach has not really been applied uh, to males. Uh, We do know that there are some reports of increased risk of uh, Down syndrome-like conditions uh, to dads over 50, 50, 55. But, you know, it's not universal. Uh, and so I think we have to watch that data. There is some suggestion that some of the more complex uh, learning disabilities that you mentioned like yeah. autism or, schizo- or mental uh, illness like schizophrenia may be associated to uh, older fa- the, the offspring mm-hmm. of older fathers. Uh, the issue is that these conditions are very complex in and of themselves and, and they're, they're, they're not just genetic, uh, they're also environmental exposure. And so I think we have to watch that data. There there is some information coming out that uh, supplementing males, like uh, increasing their folic acid intake and other supplementation may help Mm. with sperm health, in particular with older males. And we're looking at a study right now uh, looking at not just how the male does, but maybe even looking at the offspring. Uh, mm. in the future mm. so there is some suggestion to that but we also know from some, some smaller IVF studies that if you take the sperm of older males over 55 and use a young egg donor their IVF success is just the same as a younger male so, oh. it, so it's a little bit confusing in that regard
1: well obviously you've gone to school for many many years to understand yeah. it and here we have 30 minutes to try to uh, understand it all I want though final comment because I, and I have a feeling I know the answer So when it comes to is what is too old, does it just depend solely on that woman, man, couple? I mean, there's probably so many things to be able to really determine what is too old.
0: Well, I mean, there's certain biological limits. I mean, we know that spontaneous pregnancies in women past 45 are very uncommon. So that might be one of your too old metrics or landmarks. But, you know, in terms of accessing technology, currently the guidelines we have, and these are not laws, these are guidelines, um, it still has to be at the discretion of uh, both the patient and the clinic where they're functioning, but current guidelines in North America would use the the age of 55 Mm. for the intended parent. Now, for males, it's a little different because, uh, you know, we do have older males. So some clinics have used a combined age. Uh, They'll sort of put the two partners together and say you know an age of 110 huh. should be the age cut off so there, there are some novel ways of looking at it and that's not just to be medic not just to be medically responsible but to cover some of the ethical and socio-cultural issues that you, you touched on as well
1: great conversation dr baratz thanks so much for your time today
0: thanks angela calgary today with angela cocott weekdays at three on news talk 770 calgary